I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is William J. Cole, author of The Big 100, The New World of Super Aging. On Meet the Press, Donald Trump said he supports competency tests for older politicians. Earlier, Mitt Romney announced he will not seek re-election in 2024, and Mitch McConnell froze up publicly uh, for a second time. But despite recent calls for term limits and age limits in leadership, Americans should get used to aging politicians for better or worse. This is according to acclaimed journalist William J. Cole. There are consequences of older leadership. It risks prioritizing seniors' issues and concerns over those of younger citizens. Uh, Mr. Cole explains that there are also racial considerations to having older leaders. The trouble The troubling truth is that extreme longevity tends to be overwhelmingly white, a product of the weathering theory, the idea that the health of African-Americans begins to deteriorate in early adulthood as a physical consequence of socioeconomic disadvantages. Uh, William J. Cole recently retired as New England editor for the Associated Press, and he's an award-winning former foreign correspondent who's reported from all over the world, North Africa, Europe, uh, and the Middle East. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, William. Wonderful to be with you, Catherine. All right. So we're going to be talking about super aging. Why do we know why we as citizens, why is it important for us to understand the consequences of people living longer, living to 100 um, uh, here at in the United States. Um, and by the way, I have a mother who just turned a hundred, so I'm really interested. Oh, in, how yeah. wonderful. How's that, that? That's fantastic. Really yeah. great. My, yeah. my compliments. <laughs> that's wonderful. Why do we need to know about this really? Because our society isn't ready. You know, we're aging, um, at an unprecedented rate and by virtually every metric, uh, my book, you know, looks at the subset of our aging population, which is uh, people like your mom who reach the triple-digit age. But um, you know, we're just we're just aging right across the, the gamut. Uh, you know, the numbers of people who are 80 are uh, going to double shortly, and uh, you know, we are just not ready uh, as a society to sustain and nurture a population like that. And I think one of the things, and I think you said this too, I mean, we as Americans, you know, we keep hearing age is just a number, which is not really true biologically, chemically, psychologically, politically. We're not the same at 80 as we are at 45. So why do we continue to kind of uh, believe, or I, I guess, in, in this myth? Because you hear people say that all the time, you know. Uh, right. Well, that's true. You know, I, I think it really, we all age differently. You know, aging, like so many other things, is not a monolith. And uh, you have to look at the individual. There are youthful 90-year-olds, and there are somewhat decrepit 60-year-olds. You know, we've all seen people like this. We have them in our families. And uh, so it's important to just look at individuals and not make sweeping judgments. There's certainly a place at the table for older Americans, even in federal leadership. But the concern becomes when, you know, we start to veer into really a full-blown gerontocracy, which is kind of what we've got in the United States uh, or will have in a few short years. So, and I think I 
touched on that in the intro. Maybe we should go over some of the things because I don't think most people think about this. You know, if we have an aging population, politicians, for example, they're going to pass laws that really favor uh, people, older people, elderly people, and that's to the disadvantage of younger people. Uh, old white people, I guess, are they going to, pro- old white men, are they going to uh, take over? Is that, is that where we're headed? Well, they kind of have already, haven't they? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's the thing is that, you know, uh, the median age in the United States um, is uh, a smidgen under 40, but only about 5% of Congress is under the age of 40. So, you know, we call ourselves a representative democracy, but are we really, uh, when you look at it from a demographic perspective, uh, there are a lot of younger Americans who don't feel as though they, you know, their interests are being looked out for. And, you know, things that are at top of mind for them, uh, crushing student loan debt and the rising cost of rental housing and and things like this, even climate change, you know, are are our elderly, um, you know, white (laughs) Congress people really dialed in on, on the climate crisis like they should be? Uh, one would hope so, you know, uh, but uh, there are some doubts. So, okay, given that, and we, I think, sort of covered some of the problems uh, with this aging population, people living to be 100. So what can we, what do we need to do about it? I mean, do there have to be term limits in certain areas of, um, well, it's in Congress or in the Supreme Court? Or even, you know, I talk about, and this is just a, sort of a personal vignette, but, you know, if I'm looking for a surgeon, I really don't want an 80-year-old surgeon. I want a 50-year-old surgeon, uh, but I might want an 80-year-old diagnostician. So, you know, it, as you say, there's a place for um, the the population that we're talking about. So um, I don't know if I asked a question or I'm just... Uh, giving you one of my examples. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, term limits go, I think uh, we're we're hitting a tipping point where Americans are clamoring for them. And it's not even uh, around necessarily the age question. It's just, you know, make room for new people with fresh ideas. (laughs) And, you know, uh, people like, um, you know, Dianne Feinstein was a U.S. senator, you know, for 41 years. She died last week. That's a very long time. Are, were these jobs really meant to be held, you know, for life? I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's up for debate. In terms of, um, you know, other things that need to be changed. I mean, beyond the political realm, I mean, there, there's a lot because as we age uh, as a nation, uh, you know, the the strain on our uh, on our social systems is going to be enormous. And I think, you know, top of mind for anyone. Uh, aging, and especially if we're contemplating living to 100 or beyond, is where the heck am I going to find enough money to pay a century's worth of bills? Yeah. Well, can you answer that question? Where are we going well, to find the money? Yeah. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a vexing question. You know, I mean, first of all, Social Security and Medicare are, you know, running out, out of money. Social Security uh, will be seriously depleted in just a decade from now. Uh, And that's just coinciding perfectly or imperfectly with some of these demographic trends that are going to see, you know, a big leap in 
in uh, our makeup as a nation. I mean, in 10 years from now, we're going to have more people 65 and older in the United States than we will have 17 and younger for the first time in our history. And so the, you know, the people using the system will increase enormously. Uh, Congress has to address that. And, you know, why not do it now while, while thoughtful policy can still be worked out as opposed to the last minute? What about in terms of the United States? I mean, obviously, you uh, have been a journalist, uh, you know, all over the world. How do we fare in terms of the rest of the world? In ter- well, first of all, in terms of people living to be 100 or not? And if so, what are other countries doing? Um, and are they doing uh, more to mitigate some of these problems or issues than we are? Yeah, really interesting questions. Uh, First of all, uh, just numerically, the United States does have uh, a lot of centenarians. Uh, You know, we've got about 90,000 of them. Uh, You know, we uh, don't, however, fare very well in terms of life expectancy uh, against the rest of the world. These these, uh, things are ranked by the United Nations and by the World Bank. And depending on which set of numbers you look at, uh, the United States is kind of, um, it's in the top third of, of the nations, but at the bo- near the bottom of the top third. Uh, so I think we're sandwiched, we're just ahead of the Falkland Islands and just behind Thailand in, in, in like the 66th place, something like that. They, these, these rankings change all the time. But, you know, we talk a lot about American exceptionalism, and I hate to break it to your listeners, but we are not exceptional when it comes to life expectancy. What about the quality of life when it comes to life expectancy? You're saying we have about 90,000 people in the United States who are 100. Um, what What is our quality of life? I mean, in terms of health and all of the, you know, and being able to support ourselves and all of those kinds of things. Cause you can live to be a, right. you know, there can be 90,000 people and three quarters of them are not living well. So what's the quality of life for us? It's, it, it, it varies widely, Catherine. I mean, you know, we have, you know, it also incredible elder poverty in this country and, and we have a lot of income disparity uh, that dogs people throughout their lives. And at the end of life or in the twilight years, uh, this can be a, a, a terrible thing. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we uh, we you know we don't we don't all age uh, in in with the same good fortune. I think you know we we talk a lot about lifespan, but the con- conversation needs to include health span, and that is a way of expressing you know how many uh, years we have in, in good health, where we are mobile where we uh, don't have cognitive impairment, uh, you know, all these things. So I think, you know, it varies. Well-to-do Americans who have saved a lot of money and and can afford to age in place in their homes can hire uh, people to take care of them. And and that's sort of, you know, the gold standard for many of us. We want to age where we, you know, where we're comfortable Others, um, you know, are not as fortunate. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, there, there's something like a, I think the 40% of, of Americans uh, who are retired rely only on Social Security. They have no other 
finances. And since the average Social Security check is something around $1,700 a month, for me, that's already elder poverty right there. Yeah. And today's, this is a statistic, maybe you said it, today's five-year-olds may live to be 100. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so that's big... really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, um, so, you know, the first thing that's driving all this is demographic. It's the aging of the baby boom generation. Uh, the oldest of, of the boomers is 77 or thereabouts. And so in the next 25 years, the fittest of those people will age into triple digits. Uh, and that that's primor- primarily why we're going to see a big bump in the numbers of, of people in their hundreds. But completely independent of that are the rather remarkable medical breakthroughs we're, we're constantly making in terms of treating uh, the things that kill us, cancer, um, heart disease, stroke, even Alzheimer's, you know, where there, there's some bright uh, signs, no cure, but, you know, there are some treatments being rolled out and uh, there's hope, you know, that we will have further breakthroughs. So the Center on Longevity at Stanford University is projecting that half of all five-year-olds alive right now will live to 100. Astonishing. Yeah, well, what do you think about artificial intelligence? I mean, I sort of thinking, can that save us? Will that help us? Technology, more less younger people, but more younger people using technology, using artificial intelligence to kind of uh, solve some of the problems that you just mentioned, you know, whether it's health and poverty, um, that maybe, which is a good thing. Yeah, well, we do face a, sh- a chronic shortage of caregivers in the United States. Uh, there's just not enough people to, to take care of our, our seniors. Uh, and AI has a, a place uh, in terms of monitoring people. Uh, there, there, there are, there's technology that allows people to uh, wear something uh, that has sensors on it. It can detect if they've fallen. It can initiate a phone call to a doctor or a social worker if the sensors warn that something is amiss. Um, in this way, you know, that technology can be helpful for us. But is it really a, you know, a realistic and a practical substitute for real human touch, for the milk of human kindness? And, and even, you know, beyond just those, those things, <laughs> you know, I don't think we're at the point where we have a robot that's going to hoist us on and off the toilet and forgive the imagery. But I mean, this is, this is, let's get real for a second. You know, I mean, we need human beings to care for people. So I think, you know, sometimes we, we take a bit of a rosy view of AI uh, in the roles that it can play, but uh, there's really no substitute for actual human beings caring for us in a loving way. Well, we do need that connection. We need that connection with yeah. other people. Well, but maybe we could have that connection and still have the robot help us get our elderly people off the toilet. We can do both at the <laughs> same time. One doesn't negate the other, I guess, is what I'm saying. That's right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, we have to yeah. do both. But, you know, Japan, Japan is very, uh, Japan is probably the, the, the most aged nation uh, with a third of its population over 65. And of course, it's historically been something of a centenarian factory. Uh, they just had a 119-year-old woman 
die uh, last year. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, they, they, they have a lot of experience with this population and they are very innovative. And so they're using uh, robots to uh, help entertain, uh, you know, older folks, reminding them to take their meds, things like that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're really experimenting with sort of a, a combination of, of uh, humans and artificial intelligence. They're, they're also using uh, uh, babies and toddlers to uh, interact with very, very old people in um, assisted living facilities. It, it, it just sort of is a beautiful uh, bridging of the generations, and it, it really enriches the lives of the seniors. And the kids get, you know, some contact with older citizens, which is lovely. Uh, that was actually my next question, uh, bridging that bridging, making draw, having that bridge between the older, the elderly and the well, really young. You're talking about babies or kids or children makes a huge difference. And I, you're right. I think the, the Japanese have done that. We seem to do exactly the opposite, though. We view there is this kind of view of younger people that uh, older people are just a burden, you know, they get in the way. Yes, we have to take care of them. And yes, they may be, there are responsibility uh, or we talk about the sandwich generation, but there's always kind of a negative aspect to all of that. It's, it's not really positive. You know, what can we get from, what can the babies get from the old people and what can the old people get from uh, the younger people? We, I think the way we approach it sometimes is not so great. Right. I think so. And, you know, we do have a, a, uh, uh, a society that is very ageist, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of terminology that we use when we're describing this phenomenon is inherently ageist and kind of negative. You know, we, we talk about a silver tsunami that's coming. Well, a, you know, a tsunami, uh, you know, speaks of, of death and destruction. And it's not, I don't like that, that metaphor at all. I think I like to think of a, a rising tide, uh, you know, that will lift all boats. You know, I, I I think it's, it's, this is probably a good opportunity for me to suggest that, um, you know, our futures in an aging society will really depend on things that we do now to kind of reverse engineer our social system uh, so that our futures are ones of brightness and not of bleakness. Being an optimist myself, I like to think of a bright uh, future for people who are living into their hundreds uh, and not a bleak one. And I hope that people will uh, take that away from the book. Uh, There are things we can do, but uh, we're not doomed. What else should we be taking away from the book? I think that's a great attitude because I think eight, that is what, probably the overriding issue, I think, of ageism and the way people, that, that's the most, uh, I, I guess, the most, uh, that's the area where we discriminate most in, when it comes to age. And, you know, being a baby boomer myself, I mean, I think I've ex- definitely have experienced or <clears throat> had those kinds of experiences. Um, I think of my mother where, you know, people talk, I mean, I would go out for dinner in her eighties and nineties and she's a scotch drinker and we sit at the table and they call her honey. And would you like some water? You know, what, what do you want to drink? (laughs) She'd go, I'd like a double scotch, you know, and they're like, Oh, really? You know, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, but there's that attitude, uh, that is a very negative 
attitude towards the, well, aging population. But anyway, yeah, yeah. it's true. And I think that, you know, uh, older Americans themselves are pushing back against that in in bold ways. You know, we saw Martha Stewart, you know, in a in a bathing suit on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, things like this. I mean, we're seeing the golden bachelor, uh, you know, uh, where, you know, it, you know, it's regardless of what you think about that whole franchise, you know, it's, it started a conversation around um, dating and sexuality for older people. Uh, and, you know, surprise, they're, they're, they still have a pulse and they still have a libido and they still have hopes and dreams like everybody else. Uh, why do you think that, uh, and I find this kind of interesting with younger people, their expectation is that older people don't know or haven't had experiences. They don't see older people as being experienced. You know, if you're 65 years old, you've had a lot more experiences than someone who's 35 years old. But somehow they, I think, when you get into this age ageism uh, discrimination, um, they don't, younger people somehow don't associate aging with experience. Well, that's true, you know, and, and that's a bit nonsensical because by definition, they have lived experience that is, is you know, priceless uh, and they have a lot to, uh, you know, to give. I mean, the, they, they also are a, an economic force to be reckoned with. I mean, you know, the, 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 the participation in the labor force of people who are 70 and above is 9%. And in, in about 10 years from now, it's expected to be 16%. And so, you know, seniors are working longer. Again, you know, in some instances, it has to do with needing to work longer, and, and that's a separate conversation. But, you know, they are participating in the economy. They're not a drain on society. In fact, they, you know, they, they are a huge uh, boost in terms of, you know, pumping trillions of dollars into the U.S. economy. And when you think about it, if we're going to live to 100, we're going to consume more goods and services as well. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, I think we, we need to look at that, uh, you know, wide eyed and 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 realize the contributions that older people make uh, in so many ways. Well, do you think everyone has to know their place? I mean, it's like if you at a certain age, maybe you can't do certain things, but you can do other things based on your experience and your talent. But you also need to have to, you have to know when to let go too, I think. And maybe Diane. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perhaps. I mean, you I mentioned mean, you know, Diane we- Feinstein in the beginning. So uh, to me, uh, she was such, uh, you know, a, a, a great set congressperson. And but then mm-hmm. hung on too long. Maybe it was time to to be able to let go. I don't know. What, tell me what. what Arguably, it was. You know. Yeah. Well, yes, because you know, I mean, she was a champion in so many areas, uh, and you know, sort of a a, a liberal lion, and and, and sort of yeah, she 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 was a great lawmaker, and now you know her legacy is clouded by uh, having stayed on and and some of her stumblings and frailties uh, and and falterings are how people will remember her, uh, at least in, you know, f- for the next few years until, you know, 
until uh, enough time passes and the full arc of her life can be appreciated again, you know, but yes, I suppose, yes, there is a time. I mean, we, right now we're relying on individuals self-awareness to know when to step aside. I'm thinking about Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's, uh, you know, in her early eighties, extremely sharp, extremely energetic, lots of, you know, service left in that woman. <laughs> you can see it, right? But she chose to not be speaker anymore. And in elegantly making that decision, she gave a, a place for Hakeem Jeffries to, to rise and, and uh, you know, become the first person of color to lead a major party in Congress. And, you know, he, if, if the balance of power shifts again, he's likely to be Speaker of the House, you know. So, I mean, I think, you know, there, there, is, there is something to be said for knowing when it's time to yield the floor. Yeah. And, well, with every, as we only have a few minutes left, but I guess, um, you know, in response to that, I guess as people, as we age, as we get older, we'll have more experience doing that. You know, now because of the Internet, uh, not we have so much access to all to you know twenty four seven. We can see people. We can see that the you know there's a visual too. You know that they're ninety. They're in their nineties or their eighties or whatever. And and that has a certain, um, I guess impact on the way we view old people and their ability, elderly people and their ability to to govern or to you know whatever they're you know that's or I'm talking about politics now I guess, but. Um, Okay, the big 100, the new world of super aging. What should we take away from it? Just that I think, you know, uh, this is coming uh, and (laughs) we need to really focus on it. We need to acknowledge that we are aging uh, in in unimaginable ways. We need to consider that we ourselves may live to 100 or even, you know, rather deeply into our hundreds. And so, you know, if we're young, we need to prepare for that financially, but also sort of, you know, consider what, what, what do I want my life story to be? And, uh, you know, perhaps I want to keep working until I'm 80. If so, uh, who's to stop me? You know, (laughs) there's a lot there. I think a lot of hope, uh, it's bonus time, uh, potentially for many of us. And so maybe we consider how we'd like to spend that bonus and, uh, in terms of giving back to our communities or just enjoying our families longer. Yeah, I think that's well said. But I also uh, just another piece to that is because things change so quickly, you know, every six months, everything's changing and technology's changing and you plan ahead. And it's kind of hard to plan ahead for 70 years because, you know, who knows what's going to happen in 70 years? I mean, everything will change because it evolves so quickly. Anyway, one minute left. Great talking to you today, William J. Cole. That's who I've been talking Two and his new book is The Big 100 The New World of Super Aging. So, um, William, will you give us a website and our websites to go to for more information about the book and about you? Sure, you can go to billcolebooks.com. That's B I L L K O L E books.com, and uh, you can see more information about the book and what I'm up to there. Uh, I, 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 I'm really uh, so pleased to speak with you about this. I, May you live 100 years, Captain. Well, thank you. A healthy 100 years. You too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, thank but you. Right now, just have a great day. <laughs> 
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 